Welcome to the Great Loop Radio Podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo, the director of AGLCA. Today we're going to talk a little bit about boat handling and, you know, some docking suggestions, some tips on close quarters maneuvering. And to cover that, I've brought in Jay Kraft. He is with Trawlers Great Lakes, and we'll let him fill you in a little bit more about his background. But before we jump into the conversation, as always, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Great Loop Yacht Sales, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with the business out of the way, I'd like to welcome another one of our sponsors. Jay Kraft is with Trawler's Great Lakes. So Jay, thanks for joining us again on Great Loop Radio Podcast. Thanks, Kim. Pleasure to be with you again today. Yeah, we appreciate it. And I know one of the things that you do at Trawler's Great Lakes is host your trawler school where you teach this kind of information. So when I was getting some requests for some tips on boat handling, some close quarters maneuverings, I thought Jay would be a great person to join me. So I appreciate you making the time for that. But for those who have not seen you on here before or who don't know you, go ahead and just tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to make a career in boating. Uh, well, 40 some odd years ago, I thought I wanted to learn how to sail and that's really where my boating career started. And I, um, started working for a charter fleet company. I was a dock hand on a couple of fuel docks, wanted to get a little bit deeper into it, realized learning how to sail and be on boats wasn't going to be at the end of the fuel dock. So I started working for the charter fleet and, uh, was there for quite a while and, and, uh, really just developed and honed the skills, uh, all things handling maintenance sailing it was a great place to start and it just kind of spawned from there so mm -hmm. it's been a it's been a pretty good run yeah and um you know as i mentioned trawlers great lakes is a sponsor and has a trawler school there um where you teach some of these docking tips and close quarter quarters maneuvering but tell us when you started there wasn't a trawler school per se um so tell us how you kind of learned these skills yeah, we don't. Uh, we didn't have a trawler school when we started selling uh, trawlers, Nordic tugs, quite a while ago, twenty-three years ago. And it just, we were running a sailing school at the time, and it dawned on us really just out of nowhere that we ought to be teaching people how to run trawlers as well. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of what spawned it. And then this is a two-point-zero uh, trawler school, which we started in twenty nineteen, and it's really uh, taken off. I think it was just before the pandemic, which was interesting. And all through the pandemic, it just continued to grow. So um, it's definitely something people are looking for and need and are, and are wanting to learn more about. Mm -hmm. um, very similar to sailors, sailors. I think they go about learning the right way. And I think trawler enthusiasts and people who want to learn how to operate a power boat want to do it the right way. And it's vitally important these days for a lot of obvious reasons. Yes. And so for when you first started out on power boats, did you just hone these skills by practicing or had you kind of developed them while you were sailing and then just made the, the leap over to power boats? I've always been of the opinion that if you can handle a, a sailboat under power in close quarters, you can pretty much handle anything. Uh, and when I started sailing, we didn't have ancillary mechanical uh, enhancements like thrusters and things of that nature. So it really was a very raw learning experience for me. Uh, and, and it was baptism by fire. And that, that I think is how, 
I learned how to handle a boat. And I think the power boats being single screw or twin screw after that kind of fell into places, I had more opportunity to get on more boats and learn how they function and their handling characteristics. Yeah. So as I mentioned, these skills, um, you know, this, this docking close quarters maneuvering are part of trawler school. Um, but trawler school is many days. <laughs> um, and you're, it's also in on the water, um, you know, driver's ed, we call it behind the wheel. Um, but literally, yep. um, it, it's a hands on course. So today we're at most of our people who consume this information are audio only. Um, yep. Some people will be watching this on YouTube. So it's a little bit hard to translate some of these skills. Um, we can certainly explain them. Um, but the best way to really learn them is to get out there and practice them, right? No doubt. I don't think there's any other way. And I would say it's, it's nearly impossible to try mm -hmm. to understand how to handle a power, but without the hands-on practical knowledge and application of being behind the helm. It's like, we, we liken this very much to uh, aviation school. We've taken a couple pages out of the aviation school. And the processes are very much the same. There's no way you could learn how to fly an airplane without actually being in the airplane in the left seat. And the same thing applies with this particular application of, of trawler school specific to trawlers, but it does apply generally to other types of boats because, again, it's a single screw uh, with a bow thruster. So it falls into that category of a boat being able to be uh, handled by somebody who knows absolutely nothing when they come in. They're very, very basic on their knowledge for the most part when they come in and by the time we have them uh, into the fourth day it's amazing to watch a transformation occur uh, right. and how confident they become right so that this question is based on my own experience and may or may not make any sense so <laughs> i'm just going to start with that <laughs> um but in addition to the perch that i am aboard now and is a motor yacht the other you know kind of cruising you know looper style boat that i've had experience with uh belonged to my parents and it was a trawler and uh, i loved their trawler and this is not a knock on trawlers but i find the perch much easier to handle than their 50-foot marine trader was and i don't know if it's the difference in the hull design or if it's the difference in the power behind the engines but so kind of in general terms for other people who are kind of exploring the different boat options available is it something inherent in trawlers versus motor yachts or the power on the boat? You know, I, I think it's pretty obvious why um, dual engines are easier to handle than a single screw. But, you know, talking yeah. a little bit generalities, knowing that trawlers are your specialty, but, you know, what makes one boat easier to handle than another? One of the things that we talk about at trawler school is that trawlers do not respond as quickly as some other types of, of power boats, whether it be a planing hull, motor yacht, like perch. Mm -hmm. So you have to, in a, in a trawler, have to be thinking five, seven boat lengths, 10 boat lengths ahead. And that's part of the learning process specific to a trawler. If you know what's going to be happening five, seven boat lengths ahead and anticipate that, far better off you're going to be. I think a boat with a motor yacht like perch, uh, planing hulls, they respond quicker. There's a lot of enhancements these days with vessels. There's uh hold their hold still patterns uh you know thrusters on both ends things like that twin engines that make and enhance the handling characteristics of a boat different and in in some cases easier for for the boats maneuvering it doesn't necessarily make it easier for the individual behind the helm to understand how it's going to operate and function but i think in general in comparison to different kinds of 
of trawlers and other vessels that these are a little bit more difficult to handle in close quarters maneuvering in, mm -hmm. in uh, rather than just open waters. And I think that is one of the, the challenges that we've seen with, with our school and people that come in here, even some with past experience with a motor yacht or something of a, a completely different format than a trawler. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and give us some of the basic, basic docking techniques that loopers should really look to master um, in preparation for getting out there on the Great Loop. Well, I think the very fundamentals of of docking is uh, close quarters maneuvering in marinas. Uh, that seems to be the big one, right? Uh, we see a lot of people pull in who aren't part of our trawler school, pull into a dock without uh, dock lines, pull into a slip without dock lines on, uh, shut the engines off before the boats even stop. So I think the basic fundamentals of uh, being on a boat is having all those things ready before you get there. All four corners of the boat have dock line, spring line, fore and aft, fenders up, things like that. Uh, again, starting at the very basic fundamentals is where you start to understand the mechanics of it, and then it sort of continues to to grow off of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you mentioned having everything ready, um, fenders, dock lines. Do you recommend that people, when we're in a docking situation, you know, check with the marina on which side the tie will be beforehand or do you just suggest being ready on both sides uh, if you had the luxury of knowing which side you were going to be on based on you know the length of the finger pair it's probably a good thing to know we often in our maneuvers and our skills and drills we have the boat ready to go on each side because the instructor may call for a docking on the starboard side and in the next attempt do it on the port side so I think it's a good thing to know, you know, with communication being either by VHF or cell phone, it's, uh, it, it should be fairly easy to determine that. Uh, and some of the other, you know, some of the other things that are at the fingertips of people to be able to see a marine overhead, the visual satellite photos and things like that. But I, I think you should have the minimum ready on either side for sure uh, before coming into a dock. Definitely. Okay. No question about it. So you've got your fenders ready. You've got your lines ready. Um, you've communicated with the marina about where the slip is. And, and as you kind of um, referenced, Jay, a lot of us kind of, you know, look at an, a satellite view of the marina or even better if the marina has a kind of a dock map that they've put out to get an idea of what you're dealing with. Um, so what's next kind of as you're, you're approaching the marina and then heading for your slip? Well, traffic is always a big one. You have to be aware of traffic going into a fairway or down a fairway. If you've got a log fire, there's a lot of marinas are big these days and there's a long way to go in some marinas uh, to get to where you're going. So I think you have to look out for traffic. You've got to be aware of where your slip is. Again, if you've got a good reference point, I know many times I've done it, gone down the wrong fairway uh, and realized the, the slip is on another fairway over. So I think you, you need to be aware of what's going on. Your spatial awareness is really important. But preparation, the more knowledge you have before you get to that slip of where it is and what side you're going to be on, I think that's that's definitely a, uh, an important uh, element. We don't like to have fenders down uh, when we're trained to go into a slip. If you've got a breeze blowing you into the finger pier, uh, fenders down are going to get caught between a piling or caught between a floating pier. So we often don't like to have those down. We 
we try to tell people, look, you know, there's rub rails on a boat. They're not crash rails. They're rub rails. So try <laughs> to treat them as such. But you can get in some trouble and lose a fender or, or bend or break something if your fenders are down. So that's a technique we like to try to exercise as well in, in approaching and uh, ingress and egress out of a slip. So leaving the slip is equally important as well. Yeah. But remember, it's uh, when you're going into a slip, the first line on is that spring line, uh, always mm -hmm. that uh, aft spring line, uh, get the boat under control. Whoever's at the helm shouldn't leave the helm ever until that boat is stopped and, uh, and you've got it under control. And then you can do the fine tuning with some of the other lines. But that's essential to the process that we, we try to at least convey. Yeah, and that's helpful. Um, and interesting about the fenders. We've never, ever put down our big ball fenders while we're docking because they're just in the way. <laughs> um, after right. we're tied up, we'll use them to make sure we're not um, banging against the dock. Sometimes we do put out our, um, you know, kind of cylinder uh, fenders, um, which are hanging a little bit more towards the bow and therefore really even, even in a narrow slip, they're kind of not so much in the way. Um, but the yeah, that that's interesting and, and good advice. And we actually got the biggest of the ball fenders um, after hitting a concrete wall a little harder than we would have liked as we were tying to it in the Erie Canal. So, um, you know, situations are different. And we're talking today mostly about finger piers, I guess. Well, and that's that scenario. Um, yeah, the, the big ball was purchased shortly thereafter um though the wall was unforgiving and the wind was relentless so um i i mean i guess speaking of wind that is kind of the game changer as is a lot of current in a marina um when you're docking so how do you teach people to kind of particularly when you can't control the weather situations in training um what are some tips on how to handle excessive wind or even small wind and current when you're doing some of these close quarters maneuvers? We don't have a lot of current in the Great Lakes. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't have to deal with that. And I think with our standpoint, it's probably a good thing because there's enough to be, there's enough at hand to, to be concerned about and be aware of without having to deal with a current. But wind definitely is something in the Great Lakes that we, we have to deal with. We've always encouraged people to look at wind as your friend and not your foe. You use it to your advantage when you can, but be cognizant of how devastating it can be if you're not going to be uh, in the favorable side of a dock when you're coming into a slip. And I think it depends on the boat. You've got like the perch has got a lot of windage, canvas, things like that, right? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of trawlers do over their fly bridges. So you've got to be aware of these things that are going to add to the boat's carry or the boat's drift. Uh, and going to enhance that. So you've got to be, it's, it's all about, again, going back to the, you know, thinking four or five boat lengths ahead on what's going to happen. And if you're getting blown into a, a slip and into the, uh, the finger pair, come into the slip, if you can higher than you normally would, you're going to have to carry a little bit more speed, a little bit more heat, so to speak, referred to in the industry, just to carry the boat and allow the boat to track a little bit truer without being subject to the wind. So there's all kinds of things that you can do. Um, and it's a cadence thing, as you well know. It is a mechanical but cadence thing. There are certain things that need to happen in those docking situations to pull it off so you don't damage your boat, somebody else's boat, uh, the infrastructure, the marina, whatever the case may be. Uh, right. So those fender placements are really important. If you can do it uh, you know, safely without jeopardizing anybody uh, in the process, 
and finger beers and things like that. Uh, but it's always nice to uh, to be able to know what's going to happen and, and that mechanics of it. And certainly to have somebody on, on the finger pair to help you uh, as you're coming in. That's always a nice thing. Yeah, most definitely. Um, one thing that you notice as you walk around a marina is that it seems in most places, most boats back into the slips. You will sometimes see some that have pulled forward in. Um, and it seems like more often the ones that are forward in are trawlers. So I don't know if that's just my perception or if that's, you know, something you would consider true, but what helps make that determination for somebody who regularly backs in versus somebody who regularly goes bow first? Every marina is different, Kim, and it's mm-hmm. it's interesting you bring that up because there's a lot of marinas and we find it more down south than we do up here that the finger piers are relatively short. So everybody backs in is the only easy way to, you know, to get on and off the boat. Uh, so I think backing um, backing maneuvers is a very important thing, which we do touch here. Uh, there are times when backing a trawler into a slip is going to be, or any boat for that matter, is going to be a much better uh, way to be situated in a slip than it is to be bow first. I think uh, going in bow first, there's an element of privacy. There's an element of not interacting with people on the dock, things like that. Uh, but there's going to be cases where you're going to have to back into a slip regardless. And that's going to be a challenge for a lot of people. Uh, mm-hmm. We see a lot of big sport fishes doing it, and that's pretty much their forte. They always back in because that's the easiest way on and off. It's about show for them, those guys. But, you know, sometimes you need to back into a slip. Your your power cord may not reach. Your power cord yeah, may absolutely. not reach. You know, mm-hmm. you may have a limitation with your power cord or maybe a hose that doesn't reach if you bring the water on board through the municipal system. So there's a number of different reasons why you should have a, a basic understanding of how your boat handles a stern and backing into a slip is an important fundamental as well. It comes a little bit later. I think for us, we don't try to mm-hmm. attempt that till the second or third day. And mm-hmm. sometimes we don't do that. Uh, it depends on the individual, but I think that's an important maneuver that needs to be at least practiced a few times before you even try to pull it off. Yeah. Cause, cause remember do. you want, you don't want to be the show. You want to watch the show, right? That is my goal. <laughs> <laughs> we, and we do back in almost all of the time, but there have been occasions where the wind was not in our favor. Um, and it was just an easier docking to go bow in and and we have done it and it does make it much harder on our boat in particular to get off the boat in that case um but safety first and if the conditions are something that we're just more comfortable bow first that's what we do so um let's take a a break and play a message from a sponsor when we come back i want to see you know what other scenarios we might want to consider and practice and what other tips you have so we'll be back in a moment Our friends at DockMate offer the world's most advanced, affordable, and safest wireless remote control system for your boat's engines, pods, thrusters, anchor, and horn. Once you activate the DockMate remote control with a simple push of a button, you are able to leave the helm where visibility is oftentimes limited, and then confidently and safely control your boat's movement from anywhere aboard. The result is less stress and a safer experience during typical docking maneuvers, particularly in tight marina slips and when navigating through locks, where potential damage might only be a matter of feet or just inches away. Learn more at DockMate.us. An alternative to the high cost of brokerage and the hassle and risks of buy-owner boat selling, YachtX.com makes selling your boat easy, safe, and produces better outcomes. Licensed and bonded, 
Yodex combines the comfort of professional advisors with the reach of multi-platform marketing and the convenience of web transaction management and escrow, so your experience is second to none. Best of all, with fees of just 1.5% or less, you save 85% or more in selling costs versus traditional brokerage. Ask them about their buyer representation rebates, Yodex Rewards referral program, and Looper discounts. Voters come first at Yodex.com. We're back on the Great Loop Radio radio podcast. My guest today is Jay Kraft from Trawler's Great Lakes. And we are talking about docking and other close quarters maneuvering, which is primarily going to happen inside marinas. Um, you know, I think the best tip uh, and different things speak to different people differently. This is, a, you know, kind of a um, cliche in the boating world, but still speaks to me is, is to never go faster than you actually want to hit something. Um, and I think, you know, years ago hearing that, that kind of spoke to me and is just a constant reminder for me to slow down unless the wind is kicking up and you need that extra power. Um, but what other kind of tips do you have for people who are, you know, just starting to get used to their boat and how it handles and need to do some of that close quarter maneuvering? Uh, one of the things that we find uh, is is time at the helm, time at the helm, time at the helm. And mm -hmm. that builds confidence. Confidence is the single most important thing that needs to be built by anybody who's either just starting out, uh, changing to a different kind of boat, uh, things like that. The more time you have behind the helm, there's no other better experience than time at the helm. And the more time you have at the helm, the more confidence you're going to have, less anxiety you're going to have. And then the second thing is the communication. There's usually always going to be more than one person. We see couples in our school. So it's communication is the big, big thing, um, in anticipating what's going to happen. But, but confidence is by far and away the biggest, the biggest asset that you can have when it comes to, to running a powerboat mm -hmm. anywhere, in any condition, for right. sure. So, um, you know, let's say a couple... Um isn't near your school can't you know get to a uh you know a hands-on boating course um or perhaps they did and then went and bought a trawler a year later and you know over that period of time unless you've done it consistently you get a little bit rusty um as you said building that confidence is really the key so any thoughts suggestions on how people can get out there and practice close quarters maneuvering without the stress and anxiety of, as you said, you know, being the show in yeah. their marina? Well, I think there are a number of great uh, AGLCA sponsors that are readily available to uh, for training offsite uh, rather than coming to our facility, which we would certainly hope somebody would do. I, I highly recommend uh, baptism by fire is probably the worst way to do this. Uh, and I think getting qualified formal training from a licensed Coast Guard captain uh, who has experience with training people uh, is probably the the only way that I would recommend going about it. I, you know, all too often we hear those those stories about people who have really bad experience and it completely ends their boating career because they had a bad experience, mm -hmm. which was avoidable. And if they would have only just sought out some direction and instruction by somebody who's done it before, I think that would alleviate a lot of those, uh, a lot of those bad stories and scenarios that we often hear. 
I know a lot of people are, yeah, I can do it. What could possibly go wrong? Well, look, it may not be a serious loss of life situation or something like that, but damaging somebody else's boat is probably the biggest part of what we hear out there for people that don't feel they need the instruction and go out and buy their boat and then they go out and they damage somebody else's boat. And yeah. that is probably the thing you want to avoid at all costs. Most definitely. Um, you know, and I think everybody's got those different hot buttons. You know, for me, it is being the show. Um, Michael, most people who have listened regularly know Michael did the loop one and a half times before I ever joined him aboard the perch. So he was pretty good at managing the boat all by himself. So my scenario was pretty unique. Um, but one of the things that we both kind of insisted on before we really left was that at a minimum, I felt confident putting the boat up against a T um, because if something were to happen to him, if there was an emergency, um, I needed to be able to dock the boat. So, um, you know, for anybody out there who has one partner and a couple that is primarily the person who is piloting the boat, please just get yourself to that point where, you know, in a stressful situation, you know, you can at least uh, pull up to a T head and get help. And, you know, obviously when Michael was cruising alone, he wasn't as concerned about it. Obviously if something happened to him, that was that, <laughs> um, which is kind of an uncomfortable scenario to begin with, but a lot of loopers are cruising as a couple and you just need to be able to do that. I was very fortunate that as I kind of grew more comfortable handling the perch, um, over time, we ended up in a marina in um, Milwaukee, and for whatever a small marina, um, the one right by where they have the um, concerts and things in the summer, and it was into September, so concerts were over, and we were the only boat there. There's only twelve or so slips, um, but I was able to practice backing in without an audience, which particularly for loopers who you know tend to travel in packs. I don't remember how we ended up there by ourselves, but it was really nice to be able to just pull in and out of the slip a few times and back into the slip without an audience. Still worried about damaging the dock or the perch, um, but nobody else's boat, nobody watching. Um, so if anybody's you know worried about that and can find that kind of situation where there's an out of the way dock, um, just to do some of that practicing, um, it's really a gift to be able to get comfortable with it on your terms rather than um, with an audience and 4,000 other boats around. No question about it. Uh, the anxiety level goes way down when you know you're kind of by yourself or you're not worried about what other people are going to be thinking about. But, you know, the other thing with that, uh, clearly having your, you know, somebody else on the boat. And typically, I mean, the stereotypical thing is the, and the female is, you know, handling lines and fenders yep. and things like that. Well, one of the things that we stress here at trawler schools we have the women drive the boat all the time mm -hmm. but in addition to all the obvious things it's like what if you want to have a girl's weekend on your boat and you sure. don't want the guy on board right mm -hmm. why shouldn't you be able to take the boat out you know it's ideal conditions it's in your comfort zone why not so there's other upbeat more favorable reasons why why yeah. the, the women should understand how to run that boat well sure. in, in, a, in a lot of situations the docking is kind of easier physically <laughs> than doing the line handling. Um, so, and it's yeah. just, it's just a confidence level is really all it is. And, and I'm not a hundred percent there yet. He still does most of it. I very extremely comfortable pulling the boat out. Um, backing it in is still where I can, I can do it, but it's not a hundred percent within my comfort level yet. So that's kind of, kind of my, my mission while we're kind of not moving as much for the summer, but we're in a marina where we have to move over to the fuel dock for a pump out. 
So that gives me a chance once a week or so, or so to practice some of my close quarters maneuvering and backing into the slip. We have found numerous times that the female is far better adept at handling the boat than, than the male is. Mm -hmm. They just get it. They just get it. They, it just falls into place and they get it. Yeah. And, no, I hear that a lot. And yeah. honestly, I think I do just, I kind of get the way the boat handles more than I get the way the lines are going to secure the boat to the dock in different configurations on different conditions. So yeah, it's, it is an interesting yeah. thing on how all that works. Um, but yeah, I definitely encourage the ladies out there to get, get comfortable with it because it really is a lot of fun. Um, you know, underway, Michael does most of the driving and I do a lot of working. Um, but the fun part of driving the boat really is the close quarters maneuvering because that's where it gets interesting. And you're actually, um, you know, I like feeling like I've overcome a hurdle or feeling like I've um, beat a challenge. And since every docking is different, that's, that's kind of what happens when you're docking. So um, one thing you said earlier, I want to come back to for a minute though, Jay, is you mentioned bringing somebody aboard, uh, you know, a captain to teach you boat handling on your own boat. And you mentioned somebody who has experience teaching. And I think that's so important because there are delivery captains and there are training captains. And there are some people that's who can right. effectively do both, but not all delivery captains are going to give you a great training experience if you're aboard while they're delivering your boat. So any thoughts, um, Jay, from your perspective of who has trained a lot of people, um, what people should look for in a training captain versus a delivery captain? Yeah, I would look at the resume that they've got. Um, if they are training people, I would hope that they would have a uh, some sort of a website presence because there is a difference between the patience level it requires to teach somebody uh, how to operate the vessel, just regardless of what kind of vessel it is, or just a delivery captain. There's a lot of delivery captains out there who are really good at delivering boats, but they're not very good at, at being patient. And that's really what it takes and having the um, the understanding of where that individual is um, and, and being patient enough to get them to where they need to be. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a number of AGLCA sponsors who are specialize in the training. And I think that that is, that is so key um, to have that differentiation between those who are willing to teach you and just get your boat from point A to point B uh, because they've mm -hmm. done it before. And it's a certain, it's a certain personality, I think, you know, our instructors um, love what they do because they like to see the progression and the smiles on the faces and, and the, the leaps and bounds they come through, um, whereas it's it's just not delivering a boat, you know, and getting it point A to point B. So, yeah, that's very, very important. I'm glad you brought that back up. Yeah. Well, and I also hear from a lot of um, women that their husband or significant other is not the best person to teach them. Um, and I think most of you probably will figure that out on your own <laughs> pretty quickly. Um, in your in your school, Jay, what do you teach? You mentioned how important communication is, and I completely agree there, too. Um, what do you think on the, the headsets, also known as marriage savers? Do you savers? train with them or without them? <laughs> Well, we thought we thought for a long time bow thrusters were marriage savers, but I think this bow thruster has been replaced by the headsets and the Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. I think they're I think they're a grand idea. I really do. I think the less yelling and the more understanding um, at a calm voice and just a, a calm level of communication is by far and away far better to execute what you're trying to accomplish than yelling and screaming or using, you know, using the, the megaphone. You know, it just doesn't seem to work too well. 
So, but that is also comes down to making sure you know what's going to happen, anticipate what's going to happen. So all people on board, not just one, others too, know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the headphones are, are definitely marriage savers for sure. Yeah, completely agree. We use them until something goes wrong with them. <laughs> um, and Chris and Elise Caldwell, who are AGLCA sponsors and um, our training captains, don't use them and they don't recommend them because their theory is that something can go wrong. You know, the, the headset can break, it can, the battery can die, you can drop it in the drink. Um, so they kind of encourage people to know what to do without them. And I, I can say that we have had that situation, um, you know, where I've been practicing my backing into the slip skills and uh, headsets weren't charged enough because we we're only just going to the fuel duck for a pump out. So it seems like, you know, when it, just one of the things we let slide because it was a, you know, we're going a few feet instead of miles. Um, and you can, I think once you're comfortable with the boat, you can recover from that pretty easily. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I think that's not only the, is, is the headset uh, failing, but but other things on the boat. We've become very used to the conveniences of bow thrusters and other mm-hmm. mechanical uh, you know, enhancements to help pilot the boat, autopilots, things like that. And what if those go, go south? What if they stop running? I think so. The fundamentals of understanding how a boat runs, there's a lot of joysticks out there these days. Uh, it's all electronics. They're in a hostile environment. So I think understanding uh, how the, you know, these things work without those enhancements, whether it be the Bluetooth headphones and, 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 you know, having an anticipation of what's going to happen rather than just the voice back and forth um, right. is, is really important. Um, yeah. and, and, and other things fundamentally, too, on the boat. Um, oftentimes, our instructors will reach over and turn the bow thruster off in, in a close quarters maneuvering. Now what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to employ the back and fill the pivot maneuvers to get out of it. And there's a favored side and a not favored side. So there's all kinds of things that I think should be practiced on a regular basis, just like being an airplane pilot, you know, they have to go up and stay current. And I think there's something to be said about that when you're on a boat uh, and trying to get through the loop in other places. It's important. hundred percent agree. Um, any last thoughts as we wrap up um, on what people might, you know, just tips or, or something that people might want to remember as they're trying to hone these skills? Yeah, I, not really. Just in reviewing, I would, uh, you know, make sure that you get that formal training. I, I can't employ that enough. And I think you would agree. I think that mm-hmm. is probably the fundamentally the most important thing to do, regardless of where you get it from. Uh, try not to buy too big of a boat right out of the gate. I know mm-hmm. there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of people that like to do that. But if you do get into a bigger boat, make sure that you have somebody who's run bigger boats and understands it. Um, and, but formal training is probably the first and foremost important thing I would I would encourage people to not overlook and think that they don't need it. Yeah, that's great advice. Jay Craft with Trawlers Great Lakes. Thanks for joining us and sharing all the details. My pleasure, Kim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for your sponsorship as well. And to everyone who has watched or listened today, thanks for joining us on this episode. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio Podcast. Until then, safe cruising. Mm-hmm.